Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Noel Kassler. This is the Noel Kassler podcast, and I'm back here with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy, to break down the week's events. Jimmy, how you doing today? I'm hanging in there, brother. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. What a week, man. What a week. Lots of insanity, huh? Oh, I mean, I kind of liked the commission yesterday because it was without Jim Jordan, the kind of chaos agent that he could be on that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it shows how far our country is drifted and that we have to defend democracy within the House. You know, that's that's kind of a a tall tale to to be at at this point. Yeah, well, that's where we're at, you know, and it's a good thing they excluded Jim Jordan because like his only function is to bang on his bang his fist on the thing and not wear a jacket and yell at everybody like a trained monkey. He just hurls his feces at whoever is speaking in front of him. And the problem is we let him do that for so many years. You know, he never should have been able to do that during all the commissions when Trump was president. You know, all the hearings, rather, Brett Kavanaugh and all this stuff. That's their only game. You know, the GOP is imminently corrupt. Trump only surrounds himself with corrupt people. His security (laughs) guards were corrupt NYPD officers. Like, he doesn't want you near him if you're not compromised because he's so morally repugnant and he's going to break so many laws that anybody ethical makes him very nervous. Okay. And that mindset has been adopted by the GOP because they're all in now. Ginny Thomas was paying for the buses that were bringing these people to D.C. to attack the Capitol. That's a Supreme Court justice's wife, you know, who's a full on QAnon nutbag and was funding this thing. Right. So they know if the truth comes out, they're in real trouble. It's curious. Nobody ever found whoever dropped those pipe bombs or, you know, planted these pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC. And there's a lot of speculation. It obviously looks like a woman. You know, if you watch the video, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it ends up being Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Lauren's mom, you know, or somebody like that. Somebody very close. And that's part of what they're trying to protect. They don't want the truth really coming out because it's going to show their complicity and it's going to show how far they've drifted in deference to a madman, you know, to an autocratic dictator, you know, who is only concerned with enriching himself, covering his crimes and making his scoundrel children have more money and hopefully pass it off to them. And there was a lot of corrupt white men and women in this country who were all for it. And the largest point that I try to hit home to people, and I've said this on Twitter, and I think It's somewhat of a recent revelation to me anyway. But if you look back at his inauguration, nobody was there. Five years ago, he couldn't get anybody to show up. He couldn't even get people to sit in the bleachers in front of the White House and watch the final like him coming into the White House. You know, that's sort of the prime seats. Those are the seats you thought would have gone first. And he couldn't even fill those. So he wasn't that popular when he was inaugurated in January 17. But four years later, he was able to get tens of thousands of people to not only show up, but to take up arms and attack the Capitol in broad daylight. That's your lesson. That's what you really need to take home from the Trump era is that his malfeasance, his racism, his corruption, his idiocy, his unwillingness to do anything about a pandemic made him so popular that he got more votes in the last election than he did in the first one, and that people were willing to show up five years later. You know, in the beginning, they're like, oh, we don't really know this guy, so what, he's getting inaugurated, I'm not going to bother going there. After four years of hell, 
they were like, I'm there. That's my guy. I got his face tattooed on my tits and I'm going to run on the Capitol and fight for America. It was insane. And, and what I'm trying to tell people is that's your danger. You know, Trump will die in the next 10, 15 years, God willing. Right. But like his legacy will live on and he'll be more popular in death than he is alive. So what I'm trying to say is what he's unleashed in America is very much alive. And we're only at the beginning of dealing with it. You know, we're, we're talking about skirmishes now. The war hasn't even come and it's coming, brother. You know, you're going to live in interesting times. You already do, Jimmy. You're 26 years old and, and you're seeing stuff that people my age and older than me can barely imagine. You know, I, I try to pinch myself sometimes. Like, is this actually happening? <laughs> well, the crazy thing, brother, I mean, just thinking about my future and what I want for my life, you know, like, I don't want to have children if I know that this Trumpism stuff is going to be running rampant. And that, I mean, I, I have, I see local communities here in Indianapolis. They're having school board meetings, meetings in the back of restaurants to try to get rid of critical race theory. All of these local business leaders are doing everything they can to try to deflect the truth. And it's just disappointing that like democracy and by extension, truth has been given a price tag because the media has been complicit. You know, they knew Trump was a cash cow when he was on The Apprentice. And um, going back to like his election fraud claims, Hillary had more votes than him in 2016. And we took the loss. We allowed him to be president and he lost the popular vote twice. But, you know, that shows, again, how our our system's rigged and that they're trying to position themselves again with the electoral votes to keep control. Yeah, well, they will keep control. I mean, it, right. it's all over. If these voter restriction laws go through in all these states, it's the end yeah. of democracy and people aren't giving it. You know, it's obviously in the news a lot, but I don't know that people really understand the danger we're facing. Yeah. You will never elect a Democrat in any of these red states again. It's going to be Jim Jordans and little Danny Crenshaw's and all these kind of nutbag performative cartoon characters for the rest of time. And as I say every week, you think it's bad now with mm. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and MTG? Wait till there's a dozen of them. Wait till there's two dozen of them. You won't get anything done. And when we face real challenges, people will only react to it in how it pleases their leader and their own sort of optics in being trolls. You know, nobody's interested in working anymore. They're interested in getting likes on Twitter. And it helps them every day. Elise Stefanik did it the other day. She came out and had a press conference calling out Pelosi. It, you know, while mm -hmm. this hearing is going on, Elise Stefanik went to Harvard. Okay, that always comes up. It's not to say you're intelligent because you went to Harvard, but you're not a dumbass either. You know, you certainly know better. Right. And she knew Trump was a scumbag five years ago and she changed her tune because it was the only play. And that's how venal these people are. They're looking out for their own futures. Public service used to be a, not that high paying a job. And it's always been somewhat corrupt and it's always favored the wealthy in this country and the privileged and the white people. Let's be honest. That's mm -hmm. what we're set up to do. That's what critical race theory is about, is examining how hard it is to get ahead in this country if you're not born white. Right. You know, yeah. and people don't want to teach that. They, they, now Texas and all these states are acting like slavery never happened. You're not even allowed to mention it. You know, that's insane. You know, and, and we've already... You know, we should have gone the opposite direction. We should have paid reparations. We still should. 
if billionaires can go into outer space and not pay taxes, okay, you can find the money to pay back the people that built this country. And, and you know what? In the end, that's going to benefit everyone else. I know that strikes fear and terror in the hearts of many white people because they're like, my taxes are going to go up. Yeah. But imagine if everybody was prospering. Imagine if inner cities didn't have the problems they have. Imagine if everyone had health care and a decent shot at an education. It's only going to benefit you. Go to Scandinavia. Go to some of these countries where they don't let people fall below a certain line. You know, they don't let people sleep out on the streets. I've been there, Jimmy. I've toured all over Europe. We're like a third world country when it comes to those things. And I hate that term third world country. It's just you get brainwashed living in America. You think this is the greatest country on earth, you know, and you think it's this prosperous, awesome place. And it's like it's not in many places. Poverty has been so endemic, not just in people of color, but in white people. You know, it's rural impoverished, uneducated white people that Trump and the GOP are exploiting the most. They're telling these fools, hey, we're going to protect you. We're going to keep you from the communist and give you guns and flags. It's like you're living in a trailer park without any health care. You know, your kids are smoking meth every day. You know, you got four teeth missing because you're drinking Mountain Dew in the public schools. You, you don't have any idea what nutrition is. You don't have education, you don't have health care, and you got some cynical scumbag who went to Harvard, like Ron DeSantis. You think he cares about the people in the panhandle? You think he cares about the people living outside of Tallahassee in the fucking jungle in, in Florida? No, but he's able to manipulate these people. They all are through racism, through ignorance, and we have to address that. And I don't know how we address it because it's been so weaponized. You know, what we're facing this week is nobody wants to wear masks again. Nobody wants to get vaccinated. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. the fact that you have India, you know, an entire country is I, I haven't looked at their numbers, but I saw a video several weeks back where two sons took their dead mother's body to the hospital. You know, they were able to like rig her onto this moped and take her to the hospital you know how many people in india or somewhere where they don't have access to vaccine would want those shots it's the ultimate spit in the face to those that are in need of the vaccine i know you know and they people feel like they're doing the right thing like it's my body you know dude if dale earnhardt invited you over to a barbecue and said you got to get vaxxed first you'd take that shot in your fucking eyeballs if you got free WrestleMania tickets for a year, if you got vaccinated, you'd be getting vaccinated. If you got to go to a football game for free, right? Oh, yeah. So you're going to win. You know, the guys that I know, you know, they have to be offered a free donut. You're more likely to get a, a vaccination if you have a higher chance of getting diabetes. You know what I'm saying? Like the fact that we're offering material things for a life-saving vaccine. Imagine if that happened again back when polio happened. You know, like... Science, uh, science only advances so far. At some point, people have to trust in it and try to utilize it. Yeah, you know? it, it always goes back to these larger themes, you know, these corporations like McDonald's and stuff, these big con agra, all these things that are sort of feeding people poison and profiting off it anyway, have sort of set up a, a large chunk of this population to not even understand what health is. I've toured this country like it, it'll shock you how unhealthy many people are. Europeans are shocked when they come here. Place like Alabama, like, you know, Texas, people are like 30 percent of the people are overweight. Even in the city, it's not like you can go you can go see it in, in New York City. 
people get really overweight. They have diabetes. They have hypertension. They have all this stuff that's not their fault. It's just they almost don't know any better. You know, and it's a lot easier to go to McDonald's and get a meal for five bucks and drive through the window and then get back to your job where you got to work 12 hours a day to make ends meet. I'm not blaming these people. They're not going to go to Whole Foods and sit down and like make a kelp salad when you got to work a 12 hour shift. You're going to eat at Walmart that has a built in chicken wings stand or whatever it is right then and there. And you're going to get a free 20 ounce Coca-Cola because that's going to give you some energy. And you're not thinking you're going to get 300 grams of sugar and a week's worth of fat in your lunch, you know, and then you're going to repeat that a couple times a day. And you're going to do that 365 days a year. And you're going to do that for five or 10 years. And then all of a sudden you're not so healthy and you're 40 years old and they're cutting off your feet because you got diabetes, right? So that's a harsh picture, but that's reality. So it's those same people that are getting exploited and targeted by these Republicans that are like, yeah, don't get vaxxed. Don't wear a mask. They don't care. They don't care about your health. They see it's a wedge against the other side. They're afraid of Biden being successful in these vaccination campaigns because it's going to make him look good in the next election. That's all this is all about. This is about trying to solidify their political base through people's lives. And it shouldn't be tolerated for a minute. And instead, we're going to have to tolerate it forever. Like we're going back into lockdowns practically if we're not careful we're going to be locked down again in October or we're, you know, I, I should change that. We're not going to be locked down because people won't even accept it. You'll get like unvaccinated riots and stuff. You know, <laughs> it's just a mess. It's a mess. And and what do you want to say? Because I'm about to launch into Governor Abbott. I, I, I got to yeah. do a reporting on Governor Abbott. Just as far as like, I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, there's so much misinformation running rampant relating to the vaccine. Do you think if George W. Bush did a did a commercial with Joe Biden saying, you know, get the vaccine, like a Democrat and a Republican saying something or having a campaign. Would that make any kind of difference? Or at this point, it's kind no, of a, not at this yeah. point. You know, Trump would make yeah. a difference if Trump told people to get the vaccine. But he just said the opposite in one of his little missives the other day. You right. know, they should call Trump, by the way. Trump's your guy you need to put in front of you at that hearing. He yeah. won't show up because he's a coward and he'll use it to, to launch another fundraiser. But that's who you need to call. That's who was behind this thing. They all met in Trump Tower on January 5th. Not Trump Tower, Trump Hotel in D.C. He had his own suite there, okay? And they all got together, your Tommy Tubervilles, your Mike Flynn's. Roger Stone was over at the Willard Hotel with all his Proud Boys and all these guys. This was a military operation, okay? And it had the blessing and encouragement of members of Congress. Your Jim Jordans, your Marjorie Taylor Greens, your Lauren Boeberts, these guys led tours. As I've said many times before, I worked on Capitol Hill. I was a bike messenger on Capitol Hill in the late 80s for the Congressional Budget Office. It was my job. Back then, you would deliver to the offices, right? You would deliver directly to the offices. Now you go to mail rooms and stuff. But back then, I'd go into the House document room and pick up H.R. 2351 or something because Senator Paul Simon needed a copy of it in his office. And you'd bring it there. And so my point is, it was my job to know my way around Capitol Hill and especially the U.S. Capitol. And I got lost all the time. It's a building Mm -hmm. that's set up to make you confused. And these guys knew where they were going. They knew how to find Rep. Clyburn. They knew how to find Speaker Pelosi's office. They were given reconnaissance tours before this thing happened. It happened in broad daylight. This is not a mystery. Everyone knew what Trump was doing. Everyone knew what Giuliani meant when he said, you know, we're going to have a trial by combat. 
You know, everyone knew what Mo Brooks said when he was spewing off at the mouth the night before. And and thankfully now the DOJ is not going to defend Mo Brooks. So he could be in some trouble, but you really need to hold him accountable now because it changes forever if you don't. And it probably... It probably changes forever anyway, Jimmy. You, yeah. you, your worst days are still ahead of you, I think, in terms of, of the chaos that you've witnessed as a young man in politics. Because Trump's unleashed something that's just, it's too easy to exploit for the corrupt guys, for your Ron DeSantis's and your Greg Abbott's and your Ted Cruz, fat Wolverine, as I called him. <laughs> Wilson stole from me and did a bow. But um, that's the way it goes on Twitter. Yeah. But um, what were you going to what was like? Oh, Ted Cruz showed up in his basketball outfit yesterday to vote. Right. He said they called a vote in the middle of my basketball game. They're making a, a mockery of it. They need that. You need an old school LBJ to take him by the throat, throw him up <laughs> against a mahogany panel and say, listen, you little shit bag. This is the United States Congress. You know, you're a fucking senator. You don't walk around like that in your gym shorts, making a mockery of this. People died so we could be on these hallowed grounds representing the will of the people. This is not a game. And they've allowed it to become a game. And we got to start fighting back. Democrats are too nice. We're always trying to appease the other side. There's no appeasing morons, okay? Nobody stopped Trump from being a rapist in New York City for 40 years. And what did he do? He kept raping people. He's a he's a sexual predator. He should have been in jail for that 40 years ago, but he never got called on it because he hired NYPD cops as a security detail. And nobody wanted to go up against that because the police commissioner was also corrupt and the mayor was corrupt. And people are like, I don't need the hassle. What's it worth? I got a job to do and I got kids to feed. I'm not going up against this. And that's the same thing that's happening now. People are like, well, you can't do anything about it. You might as well just try to you know, do what you can. That's wrong. You got to sometimes do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Well, and Biden's doing uh, an outstanding job. You know, he's able to establish, you know, some kind of normalcy within the White House. But he's got to start kicking ass. I mean, I know he's kind of Uncle Joe, but at this point, man, you know, the clock is ticking on our democracy. Like, it's bigger than you, whichever point of view you have. Maintaining the Republic is more important. In the damn filibuster, do what you can, because you're not going to have a lot of time. I know, but he's already said he's not going to end the filibuster. So, you know, which which shows he's part of the same damn system. Of course, he. Know? that's his whole career. And he's a good guy and he's a great, you know, man and, and family man and, you know, had a distinguished career. But mm-hmm. if I was putting together a team it would not be the team that we have now because there's too many people that were career sort of like inside of old school Washington playing a long game. And I like your new generation. I like your AOCs. I want women in there. Like I want Val Demings and Stacey Plaskett and AOC and, you know, Katie Porter, get some women, get some minorities in there, get some people that want to kick ass, tell the old white guys to go do old white people stuff. Okay. Go build some gazebos. Coach lacrosse, buy a kayak, right? Go play some golf. Go play some golf. Exactly. Step aside. Get out of the way, man. Because, you know, they don't have the fight in them they need, and it's going to be too late. But, um, you know, and I'm not dissing on Biden. Don't send me a bunch of things. I'm glad Biden's president. But, you know, you're going to run out of time sooner rather than later. And let me talk about 
Governor Abbott? Because I don't think a lot of people understand Governor Abbott. And, you know, do you know why he's in a wheelchair, Jimmy? A tree fell yeah. on him. Am wow. I wrong? Smart guy, okay. Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. When he was jogging through River Oaks, where I have some family, it's a wealthy neighborhood in Houston. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was jogging through River Oaks and a tree fell down on him, a big tree limb, which is horrible. And obviously, you know, paralyzed him. And he sued the homeowner and he sued the tree maintenance company. Okay. And he won $9 million. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was paid out over his lifetime, but it, it added up to about $9 million. And in the midst of that settlement, he became a Texas attorney general and a judge. Okay. He was a mm-hmm. state Supreme Court judge. And guess what he did? He what? went against tort laws and he, he instituted tort reform, which meant nobody else could get that kind of settlement. Okay, he won a big settlement that paralyzed him. And then he made sure nobody else could get that same benefit in the future, because when he got power and money, the corporations that had to pay his fucking settlement were like, hey, that costs us a lot of money, dude. Can you make sure other people can't do that? And he said, yep, no problem. And that is Republicanism in a nutshell. Okay, that's the kind of greed that's like, I'm going to scam the system and then I'm going to pull up the ladder behind me. And that's what critical race theory is about. You know, they don't want people to understand how slanted the system is towards mediocre white men that already have wealth. They want to be able to have generational wealth be this protective thing that lets their sons go to the right schools and join the right country clubs and become a Brett Kavanaugh. Right. You know, they don't they're terrified. You know, our our assistant attorney general is this wonderful woman from Brooklyn. She beat them at their own game. Okay, she was like on the men men's hockey team, like at Choate. You know, she went to Connecticut prep school. She went to all the great Ivy League schools on her own merit. And she terrifies that kind of system because it's supposed to be you only get to go to Yale if you make a lot of money. And if your daddy went to Yale. You know, and if he's at the right white shoe law firm and stuff, and that's what they're trying to protect. And that's what they're trying to protect people from learning about. You know, they don't want people in places like Indiana finding out the truth because it's a lot easier to make your friends go get a trucking job kind of know your place, young man. You know, you're going to get a job in this factory and you'll get a pickup truck and you'll get a house and stuff. But don't start poking around at the top. Don't understand why your mortgage is underwater. Leave that to us fellows to to figure out for you. And that's across the board. That's your Mike Pence's. That's your Mike Pompeo, who's desperately trying to still be relevant. He attacked global warming this week as if that's going to make him popular, you know, in a summer that's like from hell. All the salmon are dead, you know, and the Sacramento River, like just you, you can just list it off. You know, this planet is dying and you got some bloated white man who used his entire time at the secretary of state bilking the American government so he could have his own fundraisers. He made his security detail move his mother-in-law from Louisiana back to Kansas. They bought a house in Overland Park or something. So he sent the, the, the guys that protect him at the state department. He sent them to Louisiana to pack up his mom's house and move it to Kansas. You know, he would use his assistants to pick up his dry cleaning. He had them doing his dishes. Okay. And he grifted like $65,000 from an emergency fund while he was a secretary of state to pay for his own dinners. And he did that because he knew he would get away with it. You know, he was appointed CIA director by basically, we learned last week, Mike Flynn, 
you know, and Tom Barack and all these crooked dudes at the UAE are like, that's the guy we want in charge. Trump would go to foreign nations and ask who he should appoint <laughs> to, to international <laughs> like relations and CIA directors. Like we got so scammed and they're so desperate to keep people from finding out the truth. And I'm tying up this point. That's why these hearings are so important. And that's why they'll do anything they can to stop them. And that's why yesterday, the other day was brilliant. OK, it was brilliant to hear from real heroes, to hear from real cops being called the N-word, saying, get on your knees, you're going to die like an N-word. Horrific stuff. And it, and it still bothers me to this day that Trump got away with using the N-word out in the open, on Celebrity Apprentice, on The Apprentice, all the time. It was documented. Two people spoke out against it. And there were African-Americans, and they didn't take it seriously. And then Mary Trump talked about it in her book, and Rachel Maddow mentioned it, but it was too late. He should have been fired then. People at NBC knew he said that. Jeff Zucker knew he said it, but nobody dug into it. Nobody dug into it in 2016. I had a tweet last week. I think a million and 600,000 people saw this tweet, you know, and it was just in my frustration. It was like the guy who was accused of raping a 13-year-old girl in Jeffrey Epstein's townhouse became president of the United States. Like that should never happen. And even if you were innocent of those charges, the fact that you even are anywhere in the neighborhood where somebody could say such a thing about you should automatically disqualify you. And he clearly did it. I mean, anyone who knows Trump knows, yep, that's his MO. I, I read her deposition and heard her testimony. And yeah, that's Trump. Because there's all these little tells that are just like Trump. Like he slapped at the girls and said they were filleting him wrong. That's Trump. You know, same with E. Jean Carroll's testimony where they're walking around the lobby of Bergdorf Goodman. And he's like, help me pick out a scarf. And she's like, how about this one? He's like, no, that's ugly. That's Trump. Anyone who's been around Trump knows that those are he's got oppositional defiance disorder. Anything you say to him, he has to say the opposite back to you. It's just this weird tick he has. So he clearly did that. I did like an informal poll of the people that had worked with him. And I was like, do you think he did that? And everyone was like, yep. There's nobody who's been around Trump who would let Trump around their kids. You wouldn't let Trump spend the weekend at your house, you know, with your teenage daughters in the room and be like, hey, I'm just going to leave Uncle Donald to watch you kids. You know, mom and I are going to take off for the weekend like that would never happen. His own children wouldn't let that happen. They all know he's he's a predator. You know, everyone does. And then they kept it quiet because there's money to be made and secrets. You know, and that family has more secrets than anybody. His brother died of alcoholism last summer. Okay, he was the town drunk up in Millbrook here in New York, about an hour, you not even, you know, 40 minutes from where I am. It's, it's part of the horse country up here in the Hudson Valley. And he was part owner of this restaurant. He'd come falling down drunk every night. You know, he'd walk up to people's tables. He was an alcoholic. It's a medical disease. There's no shame in it. Okay, and that's what he died of was his alcoholism, complications of it. And Trump used it as a PR opportunity and shipped his casket down to the White House and did a goodbye ceremony. Trump hadn't talked to the dude in 30 years. He went and visited him in the hospital when he was dying. And they keep that a secret. His kids were sober or dry, rather. When I worked for them, they didn't drink because they couldn't drink. Don Jr. was a drunk. He got his ass kicked at the comedy cellar in the early 90s because he was making a bunch of racist comments. So somebody hit him in the head with a beer bottle. Right. And then Trump called up the owner of the comedy cellar and was like, you better apologize. You know, these guys were drunks. Ivanka fell down at her own wedding drunk. 
You know, I got friends over there and, and that's okay. I'm in recovery. I'm not judging that. My point is it's a secret and they keep secrets. Look at Don Jr. Everybody in the world know he's, knows he's coked out of his mind, right? It's, it's about <laughs> the most common thing that anybody comments on and not a single family member has said anything to him in the last year and a half of a severe relapse and said, hey, Donnie, maybe you shouldn't be on TikTok every night. Maybe you shouldn't obviously be gacked out of your mind speaking, you know, at the CPAC convention like he was three weeks ago, but they don't care. They're like a den of vipers. All, they're the most venal, like just disgusting people. I mean, I, and it's, I, I, I feel almost bad saying that about other human beings, but they've killed 600,000 people. Ivanka knew her dad was a psychopath. She knew her dad was a sexual predator. Jared Kushner knew this stuff. And they said, hey, he's president now. We're going to make some money. Let's get down there with him and get some offices in the White House. And now they disappeared. Ivanka's tweeted twice since January, once in April and once in May. That's it. She was tweeting 10 times a day. Now she knows it's all hit the fan. She knows how guilty they all are. These hearings are happening. You think Ivanka didn't know there was a plan to attack the Capitol? I'm going to tell you a secret, Jimmy. Ivanka runs the show behind the scenes. Okay, as I've said many times before, Trump wants music to play when he walks in the room. He wants to get high and he wants to hit on women. Okay, he doesn't really have a long game. Jared and Ivanka do. So somebody planned that stuff. Somebody organized your Roger Stones, your Mike Flynn's, your Proud Boys. Ivanka would have been kept up on all of that stuff. That's why she was there with him at the rally that morning of January 6th. And even the White House aides were shocked to see her there. Because she'd been sort of persona non grata, not that she was excluded, but she just sort of disappeared, you know, after he lost. And then all of a sudden she pops up and they're like, you're here. You would never come to this kind of thing. You know, and that's also why she was the main source for this book by Carol Lenig and Philip Rucker. If you read the excerpts, it's all Ivanka being like, I tried to reason with him. There's one quote in there that she fed them where she goes, Mike Pence is a good man. Don't say that about him. <laughs> I guarantee you, Ivanka never said that. The, Ivanka has never defended anybody else in her entire life. And she's certainly not the type to say, Mike Pence is a good man. It's just, if you've ever met the lady, that is not how she speaks, you know, especially behind the scenes. Well, and out of every man in the world to defend, Mike Pence is not the first guy that I would pick. That's a pretty low bar to try to defend. Uh, and we, I don't think we got to talk about it last week, but if Ivanka's in charge of the whole thing, kind of behind the scenes, what didn't they sign over the Trump organization to Junior? Doesn't he have full control of that now? Yeah, Why wouldn't they give it to Ivanka? Exactly. Because right? she knows it's corrupt. She, it's a hot potato. Nobody wants it now. Or why wouldn't they give it back to Don Sr.? It's his right. company, right? Why isn't he now in charge? He's not president anymore. He can take control of it. They gave so it Junior, to Junior is a, cycle, a um, sacrificial lamb exactly. out of the family. Yeah. If you're approaching like baggage check and, you know, you know, you got a brick of cocaine in your luggage, you make the dumbass carry it. You know, here you go, Don, you're going to carry this thing through there. Good luck, buddy. We're going to go ahead and get some coffee. We'll meet you at the gate. <laughs> you know, that's it's, it's a house of cards and it's falling down and they're leaving Don Jr. holding the bag. A friend of mine just saw him the other day walking alone on the street outside of Trump Tower and he didn't have any security. It was the middle of the day and they made eye contact and he looked back and, and saw that he was recognized. And they were like, why do you think he didn't have security? I'm like, because he was buying drugs. That's how you do it. You don't have your guys go with you when you're going to do a handoff. You do it in Midtown 
you know, in the middle of the afternoon, you can meet, it's real easy to do it. I've done it. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a former drug user, like people meet all the time on the streets of Manhattan, and that's where you do your drug deals. But you don't bring your security team when you do it. You walk by and you meet in front of the juice press or whatever, and you do a little handoff, or you sit on a bench or something. So it, it was funny that he's just out there kind of scoring drugs. And he's the known He's the single soul like owner of the Trump organization right now. He should just sell it. He should just be like, put an ad on Craigslist, like want to buy a real estate company and just take off. I'm surprised none of them have just like gone in the wind. Tom Barack's going to take off. I guarantee you that. Well, yeah. And and you mentioned it. He's he can either be in New York or California, both coasts. It's not like two oceans aren't there that he can take off. Um, One one thing I'm curious about and you can comment on it. If Don Jr. does sell it, do they have any money in liquidity? I mean, if they balanced out their debt, they probably don't have anything. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that stuff, so I'm not going to find. They got money. You know, people are always like, they're broke. He's broke. They're never going to be broke like you and I are broke, Jimmy. You you know, you you, you get a certain amount of wealth. You never fall beyond a a certain amount. And Trump's made $75 just off of grifting in the last six months. They reported his PAC earnings up until June, and it was $75 million on his stop the steal texts. And he hasn't given any of it to stop the steal. You know, he he doesn't give it to the thing. He uses it for his travel and his personal expenses. So he'll never be broke because he's got, you know, an army of people that are willing to send money they don't really have to him at the drop of a dime. So how's he ever going to be broke? You know, he can say Venmo me some money and he'd get tens of millions of dollars, you know, in a week. So he's not broke, but I don't think that company's worth anything. I don't think anybody will buy it. The properties are worth something. Obviously, it's a big building on Fifth Avenue. It's a it's a crappy building, but it's some of the best real estate in the world in terms of location. So, you know, he has hard assets. There's no question. And, and, you know, hopefully they'll go after him. But I don't want to get it. It gets complicated, you know, and that's Jared Kushner's world too. triple six Fifth Avenue, all this stuff. That's why they get away with this stuff, Jimmy, because other people get involved. When you get to a certain level of wealth, there's other people that are going to be left holding the bag if you really go after these guys. That's why Wilbur Ross got a pass from the Justice Department, because Carl Icahn and these other guys get nervous. You start going after Wilbur Ross. You know, Wilbur Ross was known as the king of bankruptcy, not because he mm-hmm. went bankrupt, because he would learn how to he, he, he learned how to turn distressed companies up. He learned how to turn a profit, you know, and that became very valuable to a lot of people. And he made billions of dollars off it. And then he made, you know, he lied to Congress and <laughs> made about a billion dollars himself. And he got away with it because you're not going to go after a certain structure of elite financial kind of white folks in this country, because as a politician, how are you going to get your money? Like politics is a money game now. So you can't go to Watermill and have a fundraiser if people know you're going to be going hard after Wall Street and stuff, you know? So it's like your earlier point. That's why we need a new generation of politicians. That's why we need these people that are brave enough to be called socialists. And that's what they're scared of. You know, they're scared of AOC. They're scared of these other folks that are trying to do something about the environment, that are trying to do something about economic inequality. Even your Bernie Sanders. These guys are speaking the truth. And that's not our country isn't set up on the truth. You know, our country is set up on like it benefits certain people. If you play nice, you might get the same things as those certain people. But you also got to pretend that this fairy tale exists, you know, that we're the land of the free. And and now that has been 
subjugated to the point that like people won't wear masks. You know, I made this point the other day in World War II, 20 year old women left the Midwest and went and worked in shipyards and places like Portland, Oregon and stuff, Oregon, and learned how to weld underwater in the like in a suit that isn't like a scuba. It's like in the old school, like the metal thing around your head, like a bulb. And, you know, imagine that like you're from Minnesota. You never even seen the ocean. And now all of a sudden you're underwater welding the side of a ship to go fight a war for 12 hours a day. And you're doing it happily because it was the right thing to do for this country. Nowadays, you can't get guys to wear a mask in Walmart. They couldn't make the smallest sacrifice. These guys that pretend to be warriors on video games all day in mom's basement couldn't find the toughness to put on a mask so you didn't kill somebody else's grandma or child. People always say, we wouldn't have won World War II if we had this president and these kind of people today, we wouldn't have won it. That's the wrong analogy. We would have been the bad guys today. That's who we would have been in World War II. We would have been the fascists if we had Trump as president, because that's what we have now. We have fascists that don't care about other human beings and that have been brainwashed and indoctrinated into this cult of supremacy and sort of violent nationalistic ideology and are willing to die for it. That's what those hearings were about. That's what these police officers were telling you they encountered. They said these were white supremacist groups, you know, that were shocked that the white cops weren't letting them in and going along with them. Because those people come to expect most of the cops they know are racist, too. You know, back in Pennsylvania, all their buddies on the force are, are down with the Proud Boys and all this stuff. So why are you standing in my way? You don't love Trump, too? And they were like, no, I don't love Trump. I voted for Biden. And then they're like, well, you're going to die then, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, we haven't experienced that before since the Civil War. And, and we never really, we never really came to terms with the Civil War. You know, after the Civil War ended, we got Jim Crow laws and we got all these other ways to keep, you know, okay, you don't have slaves anymore, but you'll have basically slaves. You'll have sharecroppers, you know, and you'll have prisoners that'll be forced into labor camps down in Louisiana and Mississippi and stuff. And that still exists today. That still exists today. The prison industrial complex makes money off of unfairly locking up minorities and poor white people to do free labor. It's big business. And now you have private prisons. You didn't even have private prisons back then. You know, now you got corporations and politicians that take backing and say, I'm going to bring jobs to your town of Beetle Snatch, Arkansas, and y'all are going to get to be prison guards and we're going to put in a prison. So you need people to populate those prisons. And that's your law and order, your Mike Pence's, your Greg Abbott's, your racist attorneys general that just lock people up and throw away the key. And the only way you can continue to do that is if you keep people ignorant. And again, that's why there's no critical race theory, because you don't want people to see the actual victimhood that occurs to minorities. You want to think of them as the enemy, as the other, as something dangerous, that you need a gun to protect yourself from, that you need law enforcement to lock up. Otherwise, they're going to come on, attack you. I grew up in a black neighborhood, what they would call a black neighborhood in the 70s, you know, until I was 13, 14. All my friends were black, my best friends. It was awesome. You know, African, strong African-American women made me who I am today. Because back then it was like, it takes a village. You know, and my mom was kind of absentee a lot of the times, you know, she struggled with addiction and alcoholism. So back then... You'd have somebody in the neighborhood like you ain't acting right. You need to check yourself like and, and we all played the same games. We all watched the same cartoons. 
right? We had sleepovers. We went to camp. We all got bussed into the white neighborhood to go to school during the day. You know, we all got government cheese, you know, every couple of months, which is a big block of cheese they would give you to eat. You know, we all didn't have what the other kids had, but we had fun and we had each other. And there was no danger or demonization inherent in any of that. It was human beings all struggling to get along. But then came Reagan in the crack era, right? And I went back to my old neighborhood and everybody was gone because crack came through and it was like a war zone. And the image you saw of the young black man then in the mid 80s on was of danger, wolf packs, you know, and gangsters. And it was all this violent imagery you were taught to fear. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm sitting around in my underoos with these kids watching the Incredible Hulk cartoons five years ago. And now you're telling me I need to fear this guy. And then I moved up to the white suburbs here in New York and I saw that people actually bought that shit and they were fearing black men. It's not like there wasn't crime in the inner cities, but you have to look at why there was crime and why people were shooting each other because they had no other way to make any money. And all of a sudden you introduce a product where you can make $10,000 a day standing on the street corner and you ain't got no food at home. You're going to do that, (laughs) you know, especially when you know you can't get any legit employment in the first place, you know, and that problem wasn't solved by law enforcement either. A lot of cops like, you know, and mayors like Giuliani like to pretend that they cleaned up the city. They didn't clean up the city. Those neighborhoods cleaned up themselves. People burnt out on that kind of stuff. And they started sort of like seeing the truth and realizing how crazy it was. You know, it was community leaders that stopped that. You know, it wasn't some racist mayor coming in and arresting everybody that made it stop. They were only weakening those communities with those draconian laws. You know, and Clinton's the guy who started that stuff for political expediency, which is shameful. And he knows that. He's admitted that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the most frustrating things, and I've become aware of it just by understanding my privilege and where I grew up, when you arrest a black man for crack and then he goes to prison for 10 or 15 years, well, then that male figure that could raise a child and kind of guide him and mentor him, he's not there. You know, like if you disrupt the family unit, you're going to have chaos within the home, within school. And I, I don't know if I've shared it on the show before, but the first person I ever voted for was Barack Obama. Barack Obama is going to be the guy that I look back on as the president that kind of set my tone for the kind of policies I want to see in America. Universal health care, you know, some basic government programs are going to help elevate everybody. So, you know, to see these voter suppression things rise up, to see just anger and resentment. It doesn't make sense. It's all built in anger and resentment. What's going on? I know. And you're lucky you got to vote for Obama. He was the best. And uh, good luck, you know, matching that in your lifetime. I won't. (laughs) But, but, uh, you know, I remember right after he was elected, I went on the road and I was in Indiana and there was a security guard backstage, you know, and he's talking to me because security guards always talk to you. They're really bored. Like their job is to just sit outside of a dressing room for 10 hours, you know. So if you're like a touring crew guy and you end up near one of them, they just start talking to you. And you got to be nice, but they just keep talking to you. And I remember this one guy, you know, because I'm white and I look really white, I guess, thought I was his confidant and he started dissing on Obama. And calling him like ridiculous things. It was in Indiana, you know, and I was just like, dude, I was at his inauguration and I support him. And he looked at me shocked, you know, and then that was it. You know, just a wall went up. But um, he felt openly sort of like 
it was okay to be racist, you know, and I saw the billboards in Ohio and all this stuff. They immediately were attacking Obama and people didn't even know why they opposed him. They just knew that their community opposed him, you know, that white people didn't like him, right. that maybe he wasn't good for abortion, you know, like, oh. who do you care about abortion? Uh, and all these Christian conservatives are all pro-Israel right now. You can get an abortion in Israel. Did they know that? You know, they're not excluding Israel. You can get an abortion there, right? And they're all like, we love Israel, Marjorie Taylor Greene and stuff. And I'm not dissing on Israel, okay? I'm all pro-Israel. My point is like, it's hypocrisy. You think Donald Trump didn't have 20 abortions in his lifetime? <laughs> the Republicans know this. It, it, even if you repeal Roe v. Wade, it's not like abortions are going to stop. They're just going to be less safe. They don't care. They want uh, women to have kids you know at a young age because that forces them into a job where they have to make ten dollars an hour it's all it all feeds capitalism and the the perpetual money-making machine that is the united states absolutely know? absolutely as i said greg abbott you know these kind of governors get a really powerful hold on people they're about they're about to have a permitless carry in texas september 1st you can buy a gun you don't need any kind of training no <laughs> license no permit and that's like there's already like eight states or 12 states that already have that you can already do that in oklahoma you know and somebody just got murdered this week in texas i mean 400 people got murdered in the last week over 400 people in the united states by guns guns is the dumbest thing ever americans are the last people on the planet that need guns okay i know we think it's part of our identity OK, and like, you know, the old white dudes that also owned enslaved people said we could have them in the Second Amendment. OK, but their judgment wasn't ultimate on everything. OK, because <laughs> they didn't see other human beings as equal to them, which right away means you kind of suck at judging how life really works. OK, maybe you're you know, you had some good democratic principles and getting away from a king that you didn't want to pay taxes to and religious liberty. OK, but I'm not going to take your opinion on matters of life and death. OK, and it certainly they didn't envision somebody giving General Flynn an automatic weapon with a silencer on it like <laughs> happened last weekend at a church. And General Flynn takes this weapon and goes, maybe I'll go to D.C. and get somebody with it or something to that effect. He basically said, like, I'll take this automatic weapon to D.C. and kill somebody, you know, alluding to Biden or somebody. And the whole church cheered and clapped. And then the next thing he did is he pulled up all the children on stage and said, we need to get these kids up here because they're the next warriors we have. They're the fighters and we got to get them comfortable up here. That's Nazism. That's Aryan youth stuff. So I guarantee you the Second Amendment didn't mean automatic weapons for racist white supremacists that had already been indicted and arrested for lying to the FBI about being foreign agents. You know, <laughs> Flynn tried to kidnap a Turkish guy who lives in Pennsylvania. He's a Turkish dissident and Flynn for money was going to kidnap this guy and bring him back to Turkey so Erdogan could assassinate him. Flynn is as bad a character as ever. And he was all over January 6th. You know, he was having his rallies and stuff. He was definitely one of the planners. That's the next guy they should pull up in front of Congress, okay? But the point is, these militarized weapons that all these guys have fetishized and used to manipulate people should go. OK, they don't have weapons in Australia. I know a lot of Australians. I would put an Australian up against an American for toughness any day of the week. OK, mm -hmm. 
Australians are just inherently way tougher than Americans. We think we're really tough. Reality, we're overweight. Okay. (laughs) You know, we're carrying guns. You know, we're not tough. We're, you know, we're consumers. We want to buy toxic masculinity. We want a big jacked up pickup truck to make us look tough when we go down the road. Go to England. Those guys are getting little out of Mini Coopers and they'll kick your ass three ways to Sunday and they don't have guns. Go to Scotland. I'll take a dude from Texas over a dude from Scotland in a fight. The guy from Scotland is going to (laughs) win. You know what I'm saying? People want to buy this image of John Wayne, American rugged individualism. It's bullshit. It's companies trying to sell you weapons where kids are getting slaughtered with. In Texas, just this week, some guy saw his ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend or his ex-wife at a soccer game or something, went and killed her in the parking lot. And the guy, she was pregnant. And then he shot himself. That's what guns get you. Tragedy. It's all it gets you is tragedy. It's not something you need in your life. So the last people that need guns are Americans. And, you know, here's here's like the last guy I would give a gun to is a dude who knew a lot about guns, right? If I was (laughs) giving out guns, I'd hold one up in the air and be like, tell me what kind of gun this is. And if somebody was like, that's a six sour, you know, 38 caliber uh, air cooled gas infused, you know, whatever Bushmaster, I'd be like, okay, you don't ever get a gun. Okay, because you've obviously been sitting there jerking off, reading guns and ammo, figuring out these stats on these guns like and that's not a healthy pursuit unless you're in the army and you have to go kill people. And we've already established that most of the wars we fight are BS. Right. We're pulling out of Iraq right now. It's a lot of press this week on how that was probably the pre ultimate penultimate bad decision we've made in any kind of foreign policy because it reverberated in all these areas going back to the first Gulf War in the early 90s. We're pulling out of Afghanistan. People are getting slaughtered left and right. A comedian was just killed the other night. They dragged him out of his house and murdered him. You know, an outspoken Afghanistan comedian who used to do this online stuff like we don't win our wars. We make Mm -hmm. money for companies for 10 or 20 years. We get American kids to go over there because they think they're being patriots and then they get blown up and then they come back here and they get addicted to Oxycontin. You know what I mean? And they spend the rest of their lives just trying to have some kind of normalcy again if they don't kill themselves in the intervening years, which many of our veterans do. Okay, because it's not normal. You're not supposed to. I got a lot of friends that have been over there and I know their struggles. I'm involved with some of them it's a hard thing to do to a young man. And we sort of give him this pat on the back and call them heroes. And then we come here and we just let them kind of fester in their wounds. You don't just go from shooting somebody to coming back and being normal back in Indiana. Right. You know, we're not, we're not normal in Indiana in great circumstances. So put us in more time and then bring us back to the Midwest. It's going to be even worse. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, and you it's, know. Not, it's, it's not an indictment against those people. I'm just saying it's a scam, you know, and it's a scam that they don't get the profits. You know, Halliburton isn't sharing the profits from war with Corporal Martinez, you know, who went over there and lost his arm and stuff. Right. They're not the money that comes from it doesn't come back to the soldiers. It goes to these companies that then, oh, it was a bad idea, but now my daughter's, uh, you know, in Congress and I'm on my, you know, 15,000 acre ranch in Texas and stuff. You got to understand what this stuff is for. And then you leave these countries ruined. In Syria right now, people are getting slaughtered once again. 
the Turks are going in there and shelling like women and children and stuff that have already like fled where they were living and they're just getting slaughtered because nobody cares. It's chaos. And we lose our stomach for it and pull out. And then the bad guys just come back into power and do whatever they want to do, you know, and, and we just sort of have to ignore it because it's so ugly. You know, we have shame. We create shame and horror. And we've done a lot of that as a nation in the last 30 years. And, and now now it's come home to roost. You know, karma is a thing. I think I've said before on this show, the curse on, of the house of Atreus means violence begets violence. You know, mm -hmm. you can't just do a bunch of bad stuff and expect to get away with it. The same way you can't expect to just poison the planet and think everything's going to be OK. It's not going to be OK. The earth wasn't set up to have a gazillion cars driving all day long, you know, and to be like heating up the atmosphere with fossil fuels. You don't need it. We're so into technology. Well, let's get on it. No, <laughs> you're still putting the same thing to motor your engine that you were 100 years ago, right? You're not using a PlayStation from 30 years ago, right? You're not using an iPhone from two years ago, but you're using a gas engine from 100 years ago. The technology hasn't changed. It's the same shit like Henry Ford was selling you, okay? When people, you know, to replace a donkey taking you down the street. You know, you got to stop it. And that's why they politicize it. I saw memes this week and stuff. Thanks, Joe Biden. It cost $100 to fill my tank up and it was only $70 under Trump. Well, yeah. first of all, you're an idiot because you're driving a big jacked up pickup truck when you could be driving a car that got 60 miles to the gallon or was electric, Okay. So you're the fool. It's not your God-given right to kill the planet. But that's what they're telling people. that It's too complicated to figure out the truth. And it's too scary. And anybody who wants to point you in that direction is un-American and a communist and a socialist. It's not, it's not reality. You're being manipulated by cartoon characters, by Muppets on meth. You know, Lauren Boebert and MTG are Muppets. They're, they're just... They look like something that came out of like somebody's sketch pad. Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene has three toes. Did you see that? She's only Wait, got what? Oh, you didn't see her feet, bro? No. I'm yeah, yeah. She's only got four toes on each feet. She's like cloven hoofed. <laughs> so she might actually not be human. You know, yeah. we should look into that. Exactly. Get to the bottom of that. Exactly. So what else do you want to talk about, Jimmy? We talked about enough politics. Simone Biles uh, has withdrawn from the Olympics uh, due to mental health. I can comment on that. Just having been around Andrew Luck, I met him when he was a rookie at a Colts minicamp. I can tell you how humble of a person he is because he got done with practice, run, runs over to me. He's in his uh, red number 12 jersey, first overall pick, the highly touted guy. And he says, uh, here you go, man. You know, thanks for coming. I'll sign it if you want. <laughs> You're Andrew Luck, dude, like signing the football, you know, like he was a humble guy to me. I don't think the, the city of Indianapolis deserved him. Indy, don't resent me, you know, but we had Peyton Manning for 20 years. The guy put his body on the line and he was mentally broken by the time he was 29. And for anybody that's upset that he got $80 million, he's the 0.001% of the earth that can make that kind of money. And he's going to have to make it last. And he will. He went to Stanford. It's not like he's an idiot. But we have to understand athletes don't owe anybody shit. If they don't want to perform, they don't have to. That's their ability that they're showcasing at the top level. And if they want to throw it away, they have that right to do so. Absolutely. And I don't even think yeah. throwing it away is the right. And throwing thing. it away is a poor term. I'm saying yeah. mental health comes first. And 
preserve yourself because you as a human being is more important than you as an athlete and a product that's being marketed. Absolutely. You know? And she's an artist, you know, she's not just an athlete. Like we mm-hmm. discussed her before on the show. I, I choke up every time I see her perform, you know, she's I start great. crying because you see the truth, you know, you see somebody doing something that is so clearly their gift in life. And fortunately they've found the circumstances where they've been able to do this on a public level that benefits us all. When you watch her perform, it's like watching a ballet. You know, it's watching a work of art that shows you how excellent humans can be. Despite all the horribleness that we've discussed on this show this week and all the bad things and the problems, there's also beautiful things all around us. You know, humans can have ballets and and symphonies and, and, and music and art and all these great things that are like, wow, isn't it a joy to be alive? Like, isn't this amazing? And she's on a team and she knew she wasn't up to it. So she sat down to let other teammates go. That's what you want to do, right? What if she went up there and and like wasn't feeling herself and blew it? It's not like the team didn't win a silver medal anyway. Okay. And like her gig is like jumping upside down in the air. If I'm not 100%, I'm not doing that. Okay. I'm a comedian, dude. When you're in your head and like your jokes aren't going well, it feels horrible. If I was a gymnast, and I was on like, the world oh, stage, right. I'm not, dude? I'm not going to stick this landing and I'm going to land on my Adam's apple and like be paralyzed. Hell no, I'm not getting up there. You know? So yeah. she's a hero. Unfortunately it gives, you know, fodder for the same trolls that we keep talking about your peers, Morgans who hates African-American women. He's fascinated with them, like from an obsessed point, but he hates them. He was my talent on the first season of Celebrity Apprentice. I was assigned to him and he hated Amarosa in a way that was unnatural. You know, he would just like shit would fly out of his mouth, like talking about her behind the scenes. It was insane. He's an asshole. He blocked me a long time ago, but you know, <laughs> he's an idiot. But, you know, they'll get a lot of likes. So now it's it's a villain, you know, and, and they get to say, oh, she doesn't want to perform, blah, blah, blah. Screw them. You know, not even pay attention to it. She's a goddess. And and we're going to see a lot more from her in the beginning. And the Olympics are a freaking joke this year anyway. They shouldn't even be happening. Okay. How many people have COVID? I know you're a big sports fan and stuff, but it's not. I don't think it should be happening. Right. I'm with you. Crazy. It's going to be a disaster. Like somebody's going to end up dying because they got COVID over there. For what? Nobody's even watching it because we have to watch the, you know, the hearings and we have to do, you know, whatever. Talk talk about something else. What were you going to say? Well, also, too, I mean, how many guys that are, you know, 250 pounds, 300 pounds eating Cheetos in their mom's basement are criticizing Simone Biles for not competing on the world stage when she's not at a level that you can do that? You know, it's not like it's not like you're in shape, bro. Get off the couch and and do a few push ups. Exactly. You got your lunch out of one of those windows at 7-Eleven that has all the hot dogs spinning around and stuff. <laughs> rotisserie oh, hot dog. Dude, there you go, man. Man, I always look at that stuff and I'm like, man, you know, I get it. It's cheap, you know, but Jesus Christ, what does that got to do to you? Anyway, uh, so you wanted to talk to me, you know, I've been regretting like avoiding this subject, but I know you want to talk to me about something, Jimmy. So talk to me about um, so I saw the documentary on Woodstock 99. It's horrifying. I, I guess my my one question is they knew it was a shit show. On Friday, you know, like the first day, it was going to be terrible. Why did people come back? I mean, are they just crazy? Well, we were there. 
I mean, I was there. Okay. So I was there, everybody, you know, I was there, like I worked for MTV at the time of the freelance done a lot of gigs, Woodstock 99, the VMAs. That was the height of all that stuff. So I went up with a friend of mine who worked in live television. You, you couldn't leave. It was a three day event. You bought a pass for the three days. Okay. That's why everybody was still there basically. But I remember getting out of the car and like somebody ran up to me with their face painted like a juggalo, you know, like the insane clown posse, you know, <laughs> just like running around. And I was like, oh, it's going to be like that, huh? <laughs> you know? know, so that occurred to me, like maybe it wasn't a good idea to have like all these rap rock bands, corn and Limp Biscuit, and just this horrible music, you know, was, and I'm a music fan, but there was just it was an awful time in music. Okay, right then, like what was popular with sort of jacked up white boys, essentially, was like this just really aggressive, just crappy kid rock, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. That was kids big coming out performance, you know. <laughs> so the first night was awful and, and, and it got really violent. And on the side of the stage, the MTV people, when when this guy, Fred Durst, you know, kind of came off from the side of the stage and said, look, people are starting to get hurt. The, the crowd started ripping down these pieces of wood that were like the fence, right? This plywood fence. And they were ripping it down and people were like crowd surfing on this wood and women were getting sexually assaulted in these mosh pits and just horrific hell on earth stuff. They said, Fred, you know, will you go out there and tell these people to calm down? They're starting to like tear up the fences and people are getting hurt. He listens and then walks back out on stage and goes, hey, they just told me to tell y'all to like not rip down those fences, but I think it looks pretty tight. And then they went in oh. a song called Break This and the place just exploded. And from that moment on, like a sense of evilness just descended on the place. And I got in a fight with Fred a few weeks later at the VMAs because I called him on that bullshit, you know, and uh, he's an asshole, obviously. But um, so by Saturday morning, you know, they're throwing rocks at Carson Daly and bottles and stuff. And there was no water. It was on a it was a horribly organized event and I didn't see the documentary. I'll probably never watch it because I'm still traumatized, you know, and I wrote songs yeah. about the event after it happened and stuff. But Michael Lang, one of the main promoters, like knew better. And, and they did it on a tarmac in Rome, New York, like so on a big concrete slab in August, you know, it was like 90 degrees. I think it was five dollars a bottle of water, which was a lot of work. Four, yeah, yeah four. that's a lot in 99. That's normal yeah. now, but back then it was a lot and it was all kids. Like you didn't have a lot of money. You know, it was 150, 200 bucks for the ticket. So people had, you know, 40 bucks in their pocket and piece of pizza was 10 bucks. It was just a horrible event. There was no potable water for these people. So you're in this sweltering event and there was nothing to, to drink. And I remember standing in line under the hot sun, like waiting in a line that was like half a mile long to get one of these $4 bottles of water. And I almost passed out. Like I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to die. I was so dehydrated. So I went to the medical tent and I was like, I'm dehydrated. Like I need some help. And they were like, yeah, you do. And they sat me down on this gurney and gave me an IV you know, and I started feeling better and I'm there for like a minute and they're like, get up, get off the gurney. We need it. And they just gave me like the bag with the fluids in it, with the saline <laughs> and just like, put it on your shoulder and stand there. Right. So I'm standing over here and they wheel in this other guy and they're like, he's on meth, ecstasy, cocaine, alcohol. He jumped through a car window and they're doing compressions on his chest, right? He's flat, they're like flatlined, he's flatlined and they're doing compressions on his chest. And in the course of sitting there for 45 minutes, there was like nine or 10 people that came in dead, flatlined. And I said to the doctor, I said, dude, this is like ER. 
this is crazy. And he goes, no, bro, this is like mash. He goes, this is a war zone because people were coming in in these mosh pits with their faces getting kicked in and just horrific stuff. And the guy goes, I work. I work in an emergency room and like, I've never seen anything like this. And what they Mm -hmm. would do is like, they would take the bodies of the people who died and they'd bring them to the local hospital. And then they declared the deaths there at the local hospital and not at Woodstock 99. So it gave the promoters some cover because the rest of the story should have been like 30 people died or something. You know what I mean? But they were sort of covering it up as it went along. I don't know if any of this is in the movie, but I was there. So I'm telling you what happened. Yeah. So it was just gnarly. I get out of there Saturday. The music was just, you know, it was terrible. Everybody knew it was kind of an evil <laughs> vibe. I remember talking to Jewel at a party a couple weeks later and, uh, you know, it was just terrible. Like she had to, pe- you know, ask people to stop saying, show us your tits during her set. And there's a guy named Everlast who was, I love, he's got a, he was in uh, one of these like rap rock bands, but now he was like a folk guy. He was in like, I forget the name of the band, but you know, the, the jump around, jump. I think he was in oh, that. Uh, House of Pain? Yeah, he was in House of Pain, right? But then he became a folk artist. This guy named Everlast, you know, very cool. And uh, people were throwing like bottles at him as he's performing in the afternoon. He goes, hey, man, I don't know who's throwing them bottles, but y'all might want to equate yourself with a concept called karma. <laughs> and it was like the, yeah. you know, but, and it just got horrible. So by the end, By Sunday night, all the security walked off the gig. I'm standing next to these towers, right? There's these two big speaker towers that you saw catch on fire. I'm standing next to one of them, and this guy climbs up the top of it tripping, right? Clearly on acid. He gets 200 feet in the air, you know, up on this speaker tower, and the crowd starts going, jump, jump, jump. And I was like, man, this is pure evil. Like, this guy needs to be talked down, and they're telling him to jump. Then they let the speaker, you know, they set him on fire. They start burning. Red Hot Chili Peppers are playing. They start playing Fire, the Hendrix song. It's just like, obviously, it it had already been bad, and then it was just like, oh, now we're hell on earth time in the concert, you know? And people, that's when people started, like, attacking all the vendors and setting everything on fire, and women are getting, like, (laughs) assaulted and dragged off in the woods and you know i'm trying to stop whatever i can but you know there's only so much you can do um the you know crew everybody's terrified at this point i remember walking out through the main crowd with my buddy who i worked in tv with and it was just like apocalyptic like stuff is on fire everywhere it's dark now we're trying to get back to our car to get out of there by the time we get to the car the entire road is broken glass because people had busted so many bottles so we got two flat tires in this car like this sob or something he had and we didn't get out of there until the light came up the next morning we just drove on a road of broken glass for like six hours just trying to make our escape okay horrific horrific thing they tried to sort of hush it up but then you know the press got a hold of it and they were writing about all these sexual assaults because you know at the time you got three hundred thousand people there you can't get all these stories and there was nobody to help you know and then women would go home and say hey this happened to me you know and it was the most disgusting thing ever the lessons are you don't have big festivals with really aggressive music like that that level aggressive like you can have Lollapalooza I'm not saying you can't listen to you know Pearl Jam or Jane's Addiction but this was like corn you know these were just like shitty bands that had nothing to offer it was just an ugly time and that's what I wrote about in my song it was like I was there when the music died (laughs) corporate like bands that were pretending like they were these tough guy you know 
lockers or whatever. Like Fred they, Durst is a scumbag, you know. They appropriated everything fr- that had been successful in rap to a, a white audience. It was right. it was a money grab. That's what that's it was. Exactly, yeah. that's, and right. that's what my song was about, you know. Right. So, yeah. yeah, it was a good song, actually. So a couple of weeks later, I'm in the <laughs> lobby of the uh, the Lincoln Lincoln Center, you know, the opera house there. We're doing a VMAs and I ran into Fred Durst and I was like, hey, nice job. You know, they told you to tell that crowd to calm down and you told them it looked cool and went in to break this. I just want you to know tons of women got assaulted and people got hurt and shit. And he was like, what? What are you going to do about it? And I was like, hit me, dude. Hit me right now, dude. I will own you. <laughs> you know, and he just like walked off. And luckily, you know, the Beastie Boys spoke out about it at that event. Adam, uh, I think it was Adam Horowitz, Israel Horowitz's son, like went out and said, hey, a lot of our friends have told us what went down at, at Woodstock 99. We need to hold each other accountable, you know, as artists in this industry and make sure that stuff never happens again. And I remember high fiving him when he came, you know, into the green room after saying that. But I was like, that was a something I was trying to just scream from the rafters, how bad that was. And, and Michael Lang should never have a license to do another concert again. You know, you screw up that bad. 94 wasn't that bad. That was in my dad's backyard up in Socrates. But uh, if you screw something up that bad, you should never have another one. And he got, to, you know, COVID canceled it, but he was trying to do another one last summer. They were trying right. to do the Woodstock 50th anniversary or something. And it's like, no, dude, because they made money. You know, they, they still made money off of that. And people died. You know, when people die at your concert, like you don't get to put on concerts anymore. <laughs> I haven't seen the documentary, but and I'm writing about it, as I said, now in my memoir where I go into more detail. But I mean, it was just horrific. I didn't even get into the specifics of stuff I saw. I mean, it was just it was a low point in a generation and just a horrible thing to witness and be a part of. It was just like it was like a bad acid trip from hell. I was only five years old, you know, so I don't I don't really recount it. But watching it, I'm like this this rivals the fire festival, you know, as oh. as whole. No, horrible ten, as it is. No, yeah. it was ten times worse than the fire yeah. festival. Fire, nobody died at the fire festival. That was comedy. Yeah. That was just a big grift and stuff. This people died. People, women got sexually assaulted, like hundreds of them. They'll be scarred for the rest of their lives. They're survivors and they'll work through it, but it shouldn't happen. You know, you send your kid off to a concert, you have especially something like as corporate as that, you know, Woodstock 99 under that sort of like banner. You, you have brand. A, yeah, you have a reasonable a reasonable expectation of safety. MTV was broadcasting it live all weekend. It wasn't like some random thing that just popped up in the woods somewhere. It was a major corporate event with a lot of adults counting a lot of money that were involved that should have said, hey, we can't do this like this. You have to have free water. You can't gouge these kids. You know, there was no facilities. Okay, where we camped in this parking lot was next to a row of porta johnnies. And I don't know if you've ever used a porta potty at Woodstock 99 in August that's situated on a piece of concrete, Jimmy. But I'll tell you, I used it once on Saturday morning and I never went back in one of those again. And I still haven't forgotten that experience. All right. You know, not to get too graphic, but it was just horrible. There wasn't enough facilities. There wasn't water. It was as bad as something could have been. There wasn't security. There wasn't the right artist performing. The whole thing was just awful. Yeah. Woodstock 99 makes me just want to stay home. You know, I'm, I'm a guy that, you know, as someone with a disability, I, I need to have the accessible seats you know, like quick access to the concession stand. Like I got to be kind of VIP, you know, so seeing a festival go to shit and having, have it be that terrible. I, I couldn't believe it when I watched it. 
Cool. I hear you. I hear you, brother. And I'm that way too. I mean, I'm spoiled. I work in the business, so I'm used to being backstage. And I've done a lot of festivals all over the world. Glastonbury is the best run festival. It's the exact opposite. It's about twice as many people. And it's laid out beautifully. It's in England and it's the oldest music festival in the world. It's better than Woodstock, the original. Like it's a killer festival in this beautiful part of the English countryside. And it's done right because they know what they're doing and everybody's spread out and it's not designed to gouge the people. You know, there's plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of cool places to cool off and things like that, you know, but, uh, you know, it's like, it's a good way to sum up a pretty dark episode, you know, because it's the yeah. Woodstock 99 was the Trump administration of music festivals. You know, it was the same kind of thing. It was the lowest common denominator of sardonic, cynical bands that were just trying to take money out of dumb people's pockets, you know, and a bunch of like, without any concern for their well-being or, or, or for people getting hurt. It was, it was very much a metaphor for, for what we're experiencing now, you know, and that stuff is ugly. You know, and those of us who are there and see this stuff have to remind folks like this is not the way you want to go. You know, this yeah. is not what this stuff is meant to be. So anyway, that's uh, that's probably enough for this week. I think we're a little over an hour now. Jimmy, what do you want? To, what do you want to plug, baby? I'll go ahead and plug the podcast. Uh, and then one more thing after that. JBKonair.com is where you can get my podcast. JBK on air anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, this is a comedy podcast. We try to be as funny as we can, but we want to tell you the truth. So we're telling you the truth this week and it's going to get darker, but we're going to be the light that kind of shines, shines it on the truth. Right Hopefully on it. That. If you want some pure comedy, come see me live. I'll be at the Rams Head September 16th in Annapolis, Maryland. It's going to be a great night. And then I'm going to be at the Wall Street Theater November 18th in Norwalk, Connecticut. So my Northeastern peeps need to come out for that. So it's going to be a good time. NoelCastler.com. You can find details. We'll see you next week. Be safe. Stay cool. And thanks for listening.